All right, so for today, we're going to talk a little bit about um, different ways people think that the devil or Satan come in place. Because I think actually, if I were Satan, and I'm not, um, I'd be very clever about what I convince people is the work of Satan, right? The most effective effect way for an enemy is to like direct you in the wrong direction and to get everybody focused on those things as if those were things done by an enemy while the things that really are perpetuating the goals of the enemy are left unseen. So I'll talk about a couple of examples that I've heard from leaders in churches. The first one is there is a natural disaster, and that natural disaster is inevitably the work of Satan. Satan is going about causing floods and causing sickness, and that is just the work of Satan. And I'm going I'm to start to challenge that. The second one is division. Anything that can promote division, meaning a discussion or an argument or something that's like separating people within a church, oh, that's, that's got to be the work of Satan. And, and I think those two often are sort of hand in hand. And the third one is not sort of out and about, but just your own personal stake is, oh, I kind of lost a job or I had some hardship. And, and that's the work of Satan, meaning the opposite is true. I've got all these quote unquote blessings. I've got a job. I've got this, these things that are moving me forward the, the, in terms of my financial prosperity. Those must be the work of God. And there'll be some that will promote that and guide against that. But, but I would actually say those are more likely to be the work of God in his sovereignty and grace than the countervailing view. So let's, first, let's take apart those three. So the first one is natural disasters or, or things that sort of affect society at large. And the flood was the work of God. Uh, that, that was something that was that was there. Uh, you could even say the, uh, what in fact affected the Pharaoh was also the work of God. Bad things that are happening don't necessarily have to be the work of the enemy. Uh, in fact, oftentimes when something really horrendous happens, people flock to churches and they actually have an opportunity to hear what God's saying. But there is this thread that happens in, in, in churches that says, oh no, that, those bad things aren't, aren't good. It's actually related to people's own personal, right? We can go and look at Job, Job, and, and there are a lot of things that happen, but still God, Satan asked, but God permitted it to happen. So, so God's hand was in Job's um, pain and suffering. Uh, Stephen and Paul did not have good outcomes in their lives, but they still actually had a good outcome for, for where God was concerned. But someone looking at that would say, oh man, that's the work of the enemy. This guy got you know, crucified upside down and this is, this is bad news. And of course, the enemy would want you to think that, that suffering is bad. Because the, the last part ends up also being related is, oh, any kind of discussion that creates division within a church, any kind of conflict is the work of Satan. And the person bringing it up is that's the work of the enemy. That, that actually isn't true. Jesus himself came. I came for division. And so if Jesus came to divide, what, why, what makes us think that hiding that division is actually better? In fact, I would say the counter is true. If I were the enemy, I would actually want you to focus on those things 
I would want you to be diverted and say, oh yeah, those things, let's pray against those things. Let's say that's definitely the work of the enemy as opposed to saying that is God moving and that is a way for us to like actually lean into it and see what does God want to teach. God loves those, God disciplines those that he loves. And I would say the counter is more likely to be true. Perhaps the one that's perpetually in comfort and avoiding conflict. Those might be just left just as equally to stay lukewarm for the rest of their lives and never thinking and being disciplined and being regenerate and repenting. Those could just as easily be at the end of their life. They followed the prescription, they go to church, and then Jesus says, I don't know who you are because the long, slow, lukewarm waters have kept one comfortable. And if I were the enemy, I would do that. I would try to make someone so comfortable, they don't need to question. They don't need to look at the end of their own life. They don't need to look at the end of themselves and they don't need to be in continuous repentance of their own sinfulness. Now let's take a look at the opposite. Things that I think um, people will avoid but actually do bring people uh, um, away. So let's take a look at the, the opposites of these things. Um, we'll work backwards. The, the first is so-called blessings, which, which in certain parts of scripture, they refer to blessings as salvation. And that seems to make sense. The blessing is the sanctification. And I think that there is a lot of truth in that. The, the counter argument of saying, oh, there's more comfort, may lead you away. Romans talks about how we're in suffering with Christ. Christ Jesus himself says, pick up your cross. Th those seem anomalous, but those who are believing it's a blessed life, it's your best life now, and are, their prayer is focused around their own comforts, can easily turn away and never even look at the cross. And the dangerous part is when they start teaching this in passing, not even formally, but just in passing in how they pray. But what, what leads that further down the road? And we can see some of the stories that Jesus himself talks about. We can look at Lazarus. And, and, and Lazarus had built a world of comfort around himself. And then behind his gates, there were people in need. And he, he didn't tend to it. The heart had already turned cold because he got validation and comfort from his own comfort. And then you see uh, what happens when he comes to his end and he's looking upon Lazarus and he's feeling the fire upon his own tongue and realizes the immense discomfort he now has forever. I think the division is actually um, a, a lie. A lot of times the division, if it's folly, which he does talk about that, the, the, if it is over foolish law-based discussions, this law means that, that law means that, that's clearly not, not good, that, that is divisive. But searching scriptures is actually something very helpful. So one of the counter stories to that is, and I've heard and seen it, oh, instead of searching the scriptures, that's going to be divisive because everybody has a different opinion. You know, I heard it's just peace and let's just make a decision. Let's not talk about it. If I were the enemy, 
I would plant that because it does two things. It does two things. The first is, hey, why don't we listen to God, not his word, just something that came to, to mind. But maybe I had a bad pizza. Maybe I have a funny feeling. And the heart is deceitful, deceitful above all things. But the moment that you're able to drive people away from scripture, the truth, by saying, well, you know, I, I think we just can't listen to this. this is, I'm telling you, let's not do it. That is less the work of God and more the work of Satan. And this is very true. This is why there's so much danger around saying, I've heard, let's do this. When he says the word, the hearing is actually understanding and seeing through the hidden spiritualness of the scriptures, right? One who has been regenerate, when they read it, they understand it. The one who is not rejects it because I, they can't understand it. It's, it's hard to understand. That is far more powerful to seek and search through scriptures than to say, you know, we don't need to do that. What's the counterpoint to like, we don't need to. We can listen to me. I've heard from God directly. Jeremiah talks about false prophets who have visions from their own mind. And that is exactly what that is. Versus Paul in Acts talks about the ones in Thessalonica and the Bereans. What did they do? They searched the scriptures. Why? For the truth. And what was the outcome of that? They were noble-minded. One is a degenerate mind that says, you don't need scripture. I, I can tell you what God says. That is the degenerate mind. You don't need to listen to scriptures. Versus, no, we will search through it. And in prayer and in the spirit and in a regenerate mind, we'll be able to come to an understanding of the truth. Fire of the devil. I would do everything I could to make people veer away from understanding the scriptures because the scriptures change people's minds. They bring them to faith and just say, listen to me. Let's be comfortable. Gosh, God does not want you to suffer. He wants you to be lukewarm. When you pray, his promise isn't about the sanctification. But it's about more in this world and nothing about the next and it'll slowly seep through like yeast, like a bacteria, slowly coming through and appealing to one's desire for the greatest sin of all. The one that causes all this is to be like God. Genesis 3, how did Satan appeal and break the covenant between man and God? It was, you shall be a God. What's more godlike than to pray and imagine great things are happening because of your prayer, because of your tithe? That's great. If I were the enemy, I would feed that all day long because you don't need to depend upon God's saving grace and his sovereignty. You don't need that. I would make the argument that you don't need scripture. You just listen to your own head and you don't engage in an ironing, sharpening iron. That is what discipleship ultimately is. It's a veering, a sharpening to understand the truth versus that of the world. Instead, I would have you conform to the world. 
And the last is I would cover it in a veneer of things that look spiritual, loud and visible prayer, activities that look very church-like, and allow this false teaching to seep through. This is not, however, to scare people, to say the path is actually far easier and it's lower risk. There are many that say that this sort of attractive theology, which went back in the past decade or generation, of it's a better life till you do it, that it will lead to a life that's much more fun, better, more prosperous. Um, just say God died for my sins and Jesus died for my sins and, and, and you're good. You have a good life now. Many people actually fell away from this because they looked at it and they saw the limits of prayer to affect the world. And you know who actually deals with the world, the prince of the world, is actually the devil. And um, we sort of see that that's sort of the, the failures. And people are falling away, twisting the 